You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 107 for Monday the 19th of March 2018. My guest on today's show is Craig Lee Gordon, who is a science fiction writer from Whitley Bay in the United Kingdom. He works full-time as a business analyst, but all of his spare time is taking up with writing. His goal, like that of many other indie authors, is to be able to write full-time. Technology features heavily in all of Craig's work, and he likes to raise questions about how it will affect our lives for the better or for the worse. His primary offerings at present are three short works, Transmit, Hypercage, and Theatre of Death, which is exclusive to Amazon. When I interviewed Craig for the podcast, I began by asking him where his love of all things sci-fi had come from. The earliest sci-fi thing I can remember was um, my parents got a a Ferguson video star, like a, a VCR recorder, and... I made the first thing we ever recorded onto it was the Battlestar Galactica pilot sort of movie that was out just before the series started. And ever since then, I've just kind of absolutely loved science fiction. Now, so it was going. We need to place this in time, though, Craig, don't we? Because is this like the first dodgy Battlestar Galactica? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. This is the original, slightly cheesy, um, slightly bad special effects you know with the original um starbuck and apollo um dirk benedict is it dirk benedict i i I can't remember because do you know what i had standards right and even i rejected as a kid i loved sci-fi but i rejected the original (laughs) battlestar galactica because the robots were kind of like niche weren't they you know they had these synthesized voices that were all the rage at the time and they were appalling weren't they the the, the aliens, whatever they call them in Battlestar. Oh, the, the Cylons. Cylons, that's the ones, yeah, yeah. They were terrible. They were like Metal oh, Mickey. <laughs> I don't know, six-year-old me loved it. <laughs> I was slightly older, so I think I, I, I'm allowed to be cynical, but um, even looking back at it, because did you watch the remake of Battlestar? Yeah, I really enjoyed that, actually. It was uh, it was quite a bit, uh, you know, brought up to date, a lot more mature. Um, but yeah, that was really, really good. Enjoyed well, that. That was that was quality, wasn't it? That was real quality. But those of us wounded by the first Battlestar, you know, went into that thinking, my goodness, why have they re- resurrected this? And do you, I don't know how well you know your Battlestar Galactica, but there was a nod to the old Battlestar, wasn't there, in the in the original series, where they had one of those rubbish Cylons. And it was the one thing that spoiled it for me, this, this rubbish Cylon. It was just like a, a tin can, you know, on wheels or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they weren't uh, they weren't particularly realistic, were they? No, it was very poor. I'm just trying to think because I think at the same time as that Battlestar Galactica, I think I want to say it was Buck Rogers uh, at the same time. That there were two series out at the same time. I want to say Buck Rogers, but am I am I right or am I, have I got that wrong? Do you know? No, no, you're right. Yeah, Buck Rogers in the 21st century. Yeah, yeah. so that was one of my favourites when I was younger as well. Well, that one I did like. I, I was into that one, but even I couldn't sort of stand the, the Battlestar, unfortunately. Uh, it was, um, was um, I'm just trying to sort of age you from that. So was was Doctor Who off the TV by that stage? Um, it might have been. I used to watch, I used to watch the old black and white uh, films with um, Peter Cushing. I used to yeah, like them ones. Good. Well, he was and, good, wasn't he? 
and then I never really got into the TV series of Doctor Who, and I'm still not really into it nowadays. It's uh, it's one of them things that, you know, being a, a British sci-fi author, I probably should absolutely love Doctor Who, but yeah, I just never really got into it that much. Kind of passed me by that one. Yeah, I let you into a secret. I'm not a huge fan of Doctor Who. I, I liked uh, I've liked a couple of the Doctors, but a lot of it I thought was absolute tripe to be honest with you <laughs> you know very very poor sci-fi and yeah. uh you know lightweight sci-fi i don't like my light my sci-fi lightweight you sound like you sort of err on the dark side as well i do yeah i mean a lot of the stuff that i write is quite dark as well so uh that maybe maybe that's that's where some of it comes from it's probably been spoiled by the kind of slightly bigger budget flashier version you know, of having Battlestar Galactica, then Buck Rogers, and then obviously falling in love with Star Wars from an early age. Um, I just kind of bounced off the low-budget Doctor Who feeling when I was younger as well. Gravitated more towards the, the flashier, big-budget side of, uh, of Star Wars. And so were you a Babylon 5 guy? Uh, yeah, I love Babylon 5. I was trying to find it the other day, actually, because we've just signed up to uh, like to Netflix, and I was, I was desperate to try and find it on there, but it's not on there. Um, uh, it is on Amazon, but you've got to pay for it. So I was hoping that you could watch it for free, streaming it somewhere, because I really, really enjoyed that as well. The end, I remember the end in particular was particularly great with the Shadow War. Oh, that's right, the Shadow War. They were, yeah, that's right. Because in many ways, that paved the way for the next Battlestar. You know, that kind of dark, grubby spaceship. It was, you know, grubby. It, um, spaceships used to be all shiny and nice, and, and then they became grubby. And I think Battlestar Galactica, sorry, uh, ba- Babylon 5, was the first grubby spaceships you saw, if I remember rightly. Yeah, because it had quite a, a lived-in feel, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, whereas Star Trek, it was always, you could imagine people sort of polishing it in the morning, couldn't you? It was so, so <laughs> sparkly. Never got a dint. No one even reversed it into anything. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> so, right, so we've, we've established your sci-fi credentials then. You like it dark and gritty by the sounds of it, so not sort of lightweight and, and you know, silly. It's not too silly sometimes, really, isn't it? It's a bit... Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, but Battlestar didn't put you off, which is absolutely amazing. So you've obviously <laughs> shown that you've got some sci-fi grit as well. So, so at what point then did you start to turn, you know, this love of TV and film into the, the first scribblings as an author? Um, it was about 2014. Um, before then, I'd try to get into music production. So I was trying to set myself up as uh, as a techno producer because I, I loved music more than anything. That was probably the first thing that I fell in love with when I was like an like a young adult after you know after science fiction and reading and things like that as something as I wanted to pursue as a career. And it just never really happened. I wasn't actually very, very prolific as a producer. You know, I would labour for months and months on the same track had never really get anywhere uh and then i kind of knocked it on the head after about 10 years of dabbling around and then when me and my wife got together um it was it was just becoming more of a chore and you know having to like finish dinner and then go upstairs and then try and work on on music and things like that was just becoming too difficult so and then around about 2014 i was just thinking to myself i could really fancy getting into something creative again and try and make a go of switching career into something creative and back then I just I had two options so I've always loved video games as well and I thought well I could either try and write a, my own video game and I had a couple of rough ideas kicking about and then because I've always absolutely adored reading I just thought oh well maybe I should give writing a go and stupidly I thought well 
I can write. Everyone can write. So how hard it can be to just putting words down onto a page. Uh, and then when I actually sat down to get into it, then I realized <laughs> the folly of my uh, of my ways when I actually had to think about how to construct everything. Um, but yeah, it was about 2014 was when I, I, I first started officially committing to starting to write. So you had nothing to base this aspiration on whatsoever, other than the fact that you were able to write. Yeah, you know, you'd never you'd never written stories as a young lad or anything like that. No, I mean I remember writing a story in English when um, I must in middle school when I was about must have been about ten or eleven. It was like a fantasy sort of story, but um, I never really pursued it ever again after that point until until literally like four years ago of thinking well what what else could i do now, what i should say is that you're a business analyst by day and yeah. um I, I i don't know but i'm guessing uh being a business analyst doesn't give you an awful lot of room for conventional creativity so um you, you sound like you need this kind of bolt hole like you said about the music about the writing about the video games is that is that kind of how you how you roll with this yeah a little bit um there is a little bit of creativity there being a, a business analyst, but it's more creative as in thinking about solutions to problems. That's basically what you do is you design solutions to to fit problems that the business come up with. Um, then you've got like the technical documents aspect of being a business analyst. You know, back in the day and in, in, uh, working on like big waterfall projects, writing a 200-page document wasn't unheard of. Um, so I had that kind of approach to trying to think about writing where you're trying to make sure that what you're putting down on the page conveys the solution as as readily as possible. So there was that aspect of it. But as far as actual creative writing and thinking of a story, you know, start, middle and end, no, I'd never done anything like that before. But you have done, by the sounds of it, then sustained writing, you know, not not just little notes here and there, but something that you've got to actually set your mind to. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would take you a good couple of weeks of sustained effort to try and get one of these massive documents completed. Yeah, that's interesting, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, you say you hadn't written before, but, but, but uh, you know, a, a book's at least, what, you know, generally 20, 30,000 words long. You, you might have had the experience of writing a dissertation when you were a student. So those are usually about 10,000, I think. So so normally when you write a book, it's a length and a, a sort of piece of sustained writing like you've never done before. So you had a bit of a dry run in that respect yeah i suppose you could say that because i think if i if i went back to some of those massive documents i think i'd find that they were you know they could push 30 40 000 words i guess which is you know it's a lot of information in one one kind of one word document yeah and 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 of course it needs structure you can't be all over the place across those 30 40 000 words you've got to have a plan otherwise it's just going to be nonsense so again you know a bit, bit, bit of practice i guess a little bit of uh, training wheels i suppose yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't seem to have. Uh, it doesn't seem to have made that much difference when I when I was trying to get my head around it, mind. But uh, yeah, I suppose you could look a bit like that. So when you did sit down to write that that first book, then sci-fi was obvious, was it for you? Oh yeah, there was no other option other than to uh, start science fiction. Um, I mean, I had I had dabbled in reading some fantasy back in the day. Um, like the first set of books I ever bought myself were actually. Um, uh, 
a fantasy trilogy called the Icewind Dale trilogy by quite a famous author called uh, R.A. Salvatore. And uh, they were really good. Um, and I have read a bit, of, a bit of fantasy over the years, but not a great deal. It's all, pretty much all been science fiction, apart from when I first started getting, getting into reading when I was younger. And I used to read my parents' books. I used to read things like Dick Francis and stuff like that, like just, just random stuff that they used to read. Um, but yeah, when I started writing, it was literally no other choice other than uh, write science fiction. How then did you start? Did you, did you just leap straight in or did you have a plan? No. Um, so the first thing I started doing is just trying to find out um, how to approach it. Um, and what I tried doing is try to find a book that would kind of teach you some basics. Um, and there was, uh, there was a book I found which is it, it looks really sort of noddy and basic, like almost like a teach-yourself kind of book. Um, by it's Nigel Watts, I think, and I think it's just called How to Write a Novel, and uh, that was really, really helpful. It was very, very well structured. It was very, very, you know, the the writing was very plain. It got its point across very easily, and it also had this um, this structure in it, which I used to to structure the novel, um, called the eight point story structure, um, and after I finished reading that. Then I started, so I had the, the kernel of the idea in my head about um, what the book was going to be about. Um, and then after finishing that book, then I just started doing lots of research into like, how to plan it and how to outline it. Um, so I was, I was heavily into outlining the novel, and I used a lot, of the, kind of, a lot of the software and some of the processes that I used as a business analyst on trying to outline the novel. While you've been uh, chatting, I was just looking up that eight-point story structure because uh, you know we're all. I think we've all heard of different the three-act structure and things like that. Never heard of of that one, so I've just given it a quick um, look. It's very interesting. Um, he starts with stasis, trigger, the quest, surprise. This is all ringing bells. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Critical choice, climax, reversal, and resolution. Now that that's interesting. What's stasis? Stasis is um, when everything says it as it is. Uh, the status quo is that right? Yeah, yeah. So that's stasis is the start of the novel where your main character is just acting in as they would normally on a day to day basis. And then the trigger is what starts the story off in the first place. The quest is, you know, the actual journey that the uh, the character goes on. And then you've got, you know, all the, you know, the, the barriers that you should be putting in the way of your of your character. So that's kind of revolves around the surprise, critical choice climax and what you actually do is um after stasis you loop around trigger quest surprise critical critical choice and climax and then that creates another trigger and that you loop around and around around and 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 then try and escalate the stakes until you get to the reversal and the resolution at the very end wow and i can see the three-act structure in there but that's a slightly um that's broken down into baby steps if you want and i can imagine that was really useful when you started writing for the first time yeah it was very very useful um so what i did when i was outlining i kind of uh, i broke it down into each of these pieces and what i had was i kind of had almost um like a flow chart sort of thing which outlined what happened at stasis what the trigger was what quest the main character went on what the surprises critical choices and climax were uh and i broke it down into the main character, secondary character, and also um, the villain as well. Um, 
and what choices the villain was making in the background, which would then uh, impact on the main character. And I, I went through it like that until I'd got a full outline. And that probably took around about seven months to go from thinking about it to finishing it. Um, and I remember being on holiday with uh, with the family in the lakes and I had, I had a little spiral notepad and I used to just keep putting notes in the notepad and referring to it and adding little bits to it every now and again. And used to do a lot of thinking when I was cycling to and from work. Um, and then I remember when I was on holiday, I, put, I finished the eight-point structure for the novel. And I think that was around about November time. And then I've just double-checked my... Um, my progress document, which I keep in Excel, and the first the first time I committed any words to the page in Word was on the twenty eighth of November, twenty fourteen. Fantastic! I really like that um, that sort of structure. That's good. I'll share that on your uh, show notes. Isn't it amazing? You know how I've been doing this probably the same length of time that you have. I've never heard of that. You know, <laughs> you hear everything, don't you? All, all the bright ideas. I've never heard of that one, but that looks really good way to start. I think because it just takes it down a little bit more into smaller steps of the three-act structure. Yeah, and I see there's um, I quite often browse the subreddits on Reddit about uh, writing and story structure and things like that, and this sort of thing comes up quite a lot. There's actually there's a good, a good post that someone put up where they list all of the known story structures that are out there, um, and there's a surprising amount. So you've got like the three-act structure, and he'd put on the eight-point story arc as well, but there was about six or seven other ones on top of that as well you know so does it there's a lot of a lot of room to maneuver when you're trying to choose a structure for your story but yeah i just found the 8.1 and just stuck with it for the novel i didn't really deviate and just kind of went with it from there yeah and i think you know really for people who haven't written at all before um it is actually quite a handy thing i use the um the blake schneider save the cat um format you know for for screenplays is one that i like which is I guess fairly similar to your your eight point, so it, it breaks it down a little bit. But I think for people listening to this who haven't written before, I think it's a really good tip to to read around a little bit about the structures and to find one that that suits you um, rather than just leaping in really, because I guess that's the worst thing you could do. Would you Would you agree with that? Well, that's that's probably one of the things I struggled with was um, I was thinking before I started reading the book and finding the structure. I was just trying to reconcile my head about how could you possibly start writing a book without knowing anything? And then what would happen if you got to the end and then you had to go all the way back through the book and fix loads of problems. And then it wasn't until after I'd kind of finished um, doing a bit of um, research, I found about found that difference between plotting and panting. Um, And then that's why I decided, well, I'm definitely uh, definitely more of a plotter than a panter. Um, I mean, I've since discovered that I'm a bit of both, but it, sometimes it depends on the length of work that I'm tackling. So for the short stories that I've written, it's it's quite easy to do a basic bit of plot and, and then pants the rest of it. Um, it's easy to keep it all in your head, whereas a novel of the length that I'm tackling at the moment, there's no way I'd be able to keep all that in my head. I have to have some sort of structure and I have to have it written down. Well, let, let's start with that first novel, which I think uh, I've got them in the right order. Hypercage was the first one, I think. Is that correct? Um, no. Oh. <laughs> so it's it's all a bit uh, turbulent, to be honest, Paul. So, so basically what happened was I started writing the, the novel that I'm still writing at the moment, Superstruct. So what happened was so I did the, I did the plotting, finished that in November 2014, then started writing it. 
in November 2014. Then I got about 60,000 words into it. And then I just I wasn't like really freaking out. I just got a bit worried that I didn't really know what I was doing. Even though I'd finished reading that book and I'd plotted it all out, um, I was just getting a bit a bit concerned. And because it's a lot of time to invest, you know, basically I think the way you've got to approach it and what I've done is I've tried to, you know, as I said, I've, I love playing video games, but since writing, starting writing, I've, I've kind of put that, like knocked that on the head completely and just devoted everything to trying to get my writing career off the ground. And it's funny because I was looking at the uh, my progress document and when I first started writing, there's massive gaps at the start where I would write for a day and then it would be like two weeks and then I'd do another bit of writing. Whereas now I have a, a set plan of, you know, I write nearly every day if I can. So I got, got 60K into it and it started having a look around about um, creative writing courses and things like that. And even looked into um, these kind of uh, getaway resorts for science fiction authors. Um, and, you know, they were really expensive. Creating writing courses seemed to be expensive. And then doing a bit of research, other people were saying they didn't really make a difference. And then I just happened upon this, um, this course called Readworthy Fiction and it was only it was only like $140 or something like that and um, it was set up by an editor called Harry DeWolf and it was him and another guy had gone into business together to try and create this story development course for authors and it just seemed it just seemed perfect for what I wanted it wasn't a creative writing course it wasn't teaching you about the creativity of writing itself it was teaching you about the actual how to structure a story and what a story needed um and the courses the way it was set up was really interesting because it was over 12 weeks and it was all handled via um via this website that was set up especially for it and what it got you to do is to write um 500 words every single week and it it got you to think about the structure of the story a little bit up front, but it was, so it was a little bit of plotting, but then it drip fed you what you needed to do week after week to keep the story going. And it would then pose you challenges and, you know, put obstacles, get you to think about obstacles and things like that. So I actually used that to write a novella in the same universe as the novel that I'm currently writing, which is in the same universe as Hypercage, which is the one that's actually out now. And then what I did was I finished that story course, finished the novella, which isn't even out yet, only at first draft stage. And then I started getting into, uh, well, finding out about should I be self-publishing or traditionally publishing. Um, And as I learned more about that, I flip-flopped between them for a little bit. You know, I found out about self-publishing then when it seemed like, you know, you had to do all the work yourself, I veered more towards traditional publishing. And then when I found out that, well, you just pretty much have to do all the work yourself for that as well, except, you know, um, obviously the publishing house will handle all the edit and the proofreading and things like that. I thought, well, I can, I can deal with that. If you're still going to market the work on your own, pretty much, uh, with being traditionally published, there doesn't seem to be that many benefits compared to self-publishing. So that's when I went down the self-publishing route. And when I started learning about that, that was when I was just about coming to the end of writing the novella as part of the Readworthy Fiction course. So then that's when I I started finding out about building a mailing list. So 
I finished the novella and instead of going back to the novel, I then ended up writing Hypercage, Transmit and Theatre of Death and um, set up my website, started building my mailing list, um, found out about Insta Freebie, uh, Book Funnel, all of these sort of ancillary services that you know assist authors in building their mailing lists. So what I did was I wrote Transmit and Hypercage and I found an editor and actually went with Harry DeWolf, who's the editor who, you know, created that course in the first place. Um, so wrote, wrote them, got involved with Harry, Harry um, released Transmit in May 2016 after getting all my website and everything sorted out. Uh, started building my mailing list. Um, and then I also put Hypercage out in September 2016. And I've set that up as being like a prequel to the novel that I'm writing at the moment. Um, and then since then I've been building my mailing list in preparation for releasing the novel, which is now, which I've now finished and is now at the line editing stage. And in the meantime, I've finished another short story, which has just been released. And, um, I've just got another couple of short stories completed. I've just got them back from the proofreader the other day and they're ready to go as well. So by the time the novel comes out, I should have basically what I'll have, um, my short story um, magnet. I'll have Hypercage is more of a funnel, which is set wide and perma-free. I'll have three short stories up on Amazon, which will probably all be in KU by that point. And then I'll have the novel to release, which hopefully will be towards the end of this year, if not a bit sooner. Uh, and I'm hoping... All- Sorry, go on. I was going to say, this feels like a major battle plan. I can sort of uh, imagine. It's, uh, now, why, what I wanted to ask you is, the reason I, I miss Transmit is because Transmit, although it's free on your site, doesn't seem to be available on Amazon. I, I, just, sorry, I just wanted to dig into why that was. So on Amazon in the UK, you've got Theatre of Death and Hypercage. And then on yep. your site, we've got Transmit. Why, why have you decided to do it that way round? Um, it was just to try and um, make it almost exclusive so you have to go at the website or you you can either get it from the website or from insta freebie and that's it that's interesting so because i you know you would have thought that from amazon you could have got the the read-throughs if i see one of your books and i like it i can go to amazon and get the next one but you you've just let it stand alone that's that's an interesting one so how's that gone um actually that's it's worked really really well for building the mailing list transmit and it's uh it's it's been received very well by readers as well. So what I did was I actually I set it up on Goodreads as well. So you can go to Goodreads and you can leave a review and you can find out about it. And you can also sign up. I put a link at the bottom of the Goodreads description to the to my website as well. Um, and I think that's that's really helped with, with building the mailing list because I think that's helped build word of mouth or at the very least helped to build um, some traction so that people can see that Transmit's being read. I mean, it's up to, I think it's up to like, 70 odd reviews on goodreads which i thought was quite impressive for like a a little short story so that's done really well well it is very impressive i mean it's impressive to get that number of reviews anyway it's even more impressive to get that number of reviews on goodreads because you know it's uh, and and also such a good average because goodreads tends to they seem to sort of mark slightly down rather than you know mark it up like they do on amazon so you've got a really good average on there too so uh, it's clearly working for you. And and the reason you and I met, and I, I need to dig into this, is because um, you did one of my Insta Freebie giveaways. 
and um, you came first. You were you were on the leaderboard. You came first, and, and you whooped me if I remember rightly as well. Um, so, so I I've got the old leaderboard up here. Was it? Have you done one or two? I, I'd found I'd found one of the leaderboards. Here. Uh, just the one so far. So, um, on my Insta freebie giveaways, I count unique clicks. So, um, unique clicks are basically the number of unique individuals, if you want, who clicked on a link. And Craig got um, 4,132 unique clicks in this event. And then the closest person to you, um, I think, got about 100, uh, 300 and something. I mean, you were like way ahead. You were way ahead uh, on this. It was it was incredible. So we need to burrow down into your technique because um, that's a lot of clicks. And I don't think I've seen that many clicks even on my thrillers. You know, you, you were throwing a lot of marketing power at that. So let's just dig a little bit more into how you're building your list. So how do you get people to 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 get your Insta freebie book? Is it by doing what you were doing there, which is taking part of the giveaways? Um, yeah, a little bit. So, um, I mean, you do get a little bit of organic signups from Insta freebie. But, I mean, I'll tell you how I got that many clicks for that giveaway in the first place. I mean, I wish I could say it's because, I mean, I've got about, just over 4,000 on my mailing list. I wish it, it was because I had 100% open rate and 100% click rate, but obviously that is not true. So what I did was I used my mailing list, but I also supplemented it with using um, a lot of subreddits from Reddit. So there's a, there's a couple of places on Reddit where you can list free books, and uh, that can drive a lot of traffic. And what I used was, so there's a, a couple of different subreddits where you can post up links to f- free books and Big giveaway pages like yours um, do get quite a lot of traction because there's a lot of choice there. Um, and there's also a very particular subreddit in, uh, in Reddit just called Sci-Fi. And on Saturdays, I mean, that's that's quite a big um, subreddit. I think it's about 300,000 um, people subscribe to that subreddit. On Saturdays only, you can do a self-promotional post, and I put your link up on there as well. This is interesting. Now, I, I don't do Reddit at all. I've only re- it's only recently come into my attention because of I'm getting into cryptos and there's loads of crypto stuff on Reddit. So I am reading more Reddits at the moment, but I don't don't really get it to be honest with you. So c- can you sort of do a, a potted um, guide to to Reddit for people who haven't used it because it's kind of a social media site, but it's not. I mean, it, it has loads of people on it, doesn't it? But it's not one of the best known ones, I don't think. No, it's quite. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not massively well known. So. It- you don't typically, you know, when you hear about, um, you know, see on author websites where they say, oh, you know, you should try and set up maybe one or two things that you're interested in and they'll list off Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, maybe Instagram, maybe um, Goodreads, that sort of thing. Typically, you don't see Reddit mentioned that, that often. Um, the best way to describe it is probably as it's like almost like a news aggregator site. So what you do is you go in, create an account you find what's called subreddits, which are basically just um, subdomains of Reddit, and they're all they all revolve around very very specific subjects. And then when you subscribe to a subreddit, when you open up your Reddit homepage, it basically aggregates all of the things that you're interested in into one page, and then you can drill down into each of the subreddits to view uh, just that information. Did you get leads from it? Did, did, did you actually get leads from those as well? Uh, so I, every now and again, I will uh, I'll kind of pulse um, transmit a hypercage on there and just put um, put links up to 
to Insta Freebie, or I've I've, some, I've done a couple of Insta Freebie giveaways myself, but meant just for Cyberpunk, and I've used it for that as well, and that's helped to drive traffic. Wow. Well, as I say, I, I was stunned at the number of unique clicks uh, that you were getting from that. I mean, that was a really high number. And no one could come anywhere near it. So, so it was, uh, it's obviously, you know, works as a technique and, and, and Reddit's not something that I think you hear, um, spoken about on other podcasts. I don't really hear it mentioned among author circles. So I think it's worth just, you know, d- delving into that a little bit. And, um, uh, do you spend quite a lot of time on it as an author? Yeah, I do. Um, and I spend quite a lot of time on there almost as a sci-fi fan as well. So that probably helps. Um, like I do spend quite a bit of time in sci-fi in the sci-fi subreddit, even if it's just browsing stuff and seeing what people are into. Um, but yeah, I do quite often post just random things into like the cyberpunk subreddit or the sci-fi subreddit, interesting things that I find um, online anyway, because that's, that's kind of my, my face, general, my general Facebook page and my Twitter strategy is finding interesting things um, online about science fiction and technology. And I'll, then I'll post them up onto Facebook and Twitter. And every now and again, if I find something really interesting, I think it'll, it'll go down well on Reddit. I'll put it on Reddit as well. So it's getting involved in posting links and also responding to, comments but then every now and again using it for book promotion how are you finding it's a freebie these days do you think it's as powerful as it once was no i don't think it's anywhere near as powerful um it's it's still worthwhile definitely um like after christmas for some reason it ought like since since signing up i don't think i've had a day where i've got zero subscribers um but after Christmas, for some reason, it re- it took like a good couple of days to kind of pick up again. And that's the first time that I've noticed it really dropping off. Um, so at the moment, I'm using Insta Freebie. It's funny because I've just signed up for BookFunnel today for the promotions. I've been humming and hawing about it for a while. Um, but then when I was thinking ahead of this podcast and thinking about you know my general strategy for trying to get uh, trying to find new readers, I was realizing that, yeah, I should just go ahead and sign up for BookFunnel. Um, and also using, there's another site called BookCave as well. That's probably worth uh, for people having a look at. And that's kind of, um, that's it's like a mishmash of Insta Freebie and BookFunnel, but at the moment it's completely free. And over the last couple of months, I've probably got a couple of hundred signups just from BookCave as well. That's, uh, that's worth having a look at. Joe, I'm fairly sure... I've just done a promo on Bookcave. Does that sound right to you? Do they do yeah. promos? Yeah, yeah, they do. They do, and because they kind of they do retail promos as well. But um, I've never used it yet because um, everything that I've released so far is too short. I mean, Hypercage is the longest thing I've done. That's that's only ten thousand words. It's only just kind of a novelette size. Um, so I haven't haven't been able to use Bookcave's retail promotions area of it yet. Um, all I've been using it for is their magnets. So they actually they have it's kind of broken down into two sides: retailer promos and magnets. Um, so I've only used the magnet promos so far. Yeah, you're right. I'm pleased you reminded me about that because I um, I kind of went in a bit blinkered with Bookcave. My Bookcave, it's mybookcave.com is the URL, uh, but Bookcave is the site. And I, I just did a promo on it. But you're right. I'm looking at it again now, thinking, yeah, I remember this now. And actually, it does more than just the promos and. And you're right, it's worth delving into that, isn't it? I, yeah, I'd forgotten all about that. Thanks. Thank you for reminding me about that. That's why I do these interviews, you see, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you blink, you miss it. But, um, yeah, it is a good site. It is a very good site. Um, so I'll put that on your resources page. You said you'd use uh, BookFunnel. You see, 
I think with Insta Freebie, they kind of need to come up with something new. And BookFundle actually did that by allowing you to purchase books directly through it. I thought, I thought they played a blinder with that one because I sort of, I think I'd started with BookFunnel, then Insta Freebie kind of came in and, and just moved them aside. And then Insta Freebie lost its impact. And then BookFunnel allowed you to buy, to sell books directly. And they would manage the delivery of that, which was just an excellent idea. And I feel like Insta Freebie kinds of need, needs a new trick really to invigorate it. That's, that's where I am with it. Yeah, they, they don't seem to be, um, they're not, not a particularly innovative company, I wouldn't say. Um, they do seem, I, I can't, at the moment, I don't really get a good sense about where the development effort is being spent um, or like where they're spending their resources, like whether they're just spending it all on trying to gather new readers. But as far as advancing the actual platform itself, it doesn't advance particularly quickly. No, the last innovation, if I remember correctly, was the um, they, they they allowed you to host a giveaway. So in the way that I I did it when you and I worked together, I put it on a WordPress site and and managed all the books. They handled the giveaways, but they they look pretty bland. If I remember, you know, they're not really very nice, are they? They're not 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 very attractive. No, well, I, I mean, I did the same thing when I set up because I've set up a, a specific area of my site for um, trying to find cyberpunk readers, and again for trying to find appropriate readers for when I w- launched the novel and I've used Insta Freebie twice to do a group giveaway and I did the same thing as you, I hosted it on my website um, and I tried to make it look as, as nice as possible, um, but you're right, I don't think the Insta Freebie ones are particularly great the, uh, <clears throat> the group giveaways do a, a really annoying thing as well where it'll default to um, not where opt-ins won't be mandatory mm. so I've, I've, I've joined a group giveaway before and just even though my normal giveaway page is opt-ins mandatory, the group giveaway page for the same book, it'll default to not being mandatory. And I've missed out on a good couple of hundred subscribers by forgetting that it was turned off. And I actually did that with one that was starting uh, the middle of this month. And I missed the first day. And I only missed out on sort of six new readers. But, uh, you know, it's still one of them things where it's, it's you know, a bit of a kick in the teeth especially when you've lost a couple of hundred yeah that's a good tip it's worth pointing that out the, the other thing that i used to do with my giveaways um i don't know whether you've used facebook ads at all but i used to put the facebook pixel on mine so that i could create a targeted audience of you know sci-fi readers or thriller readers and i don't know whether you could do that in the, in the insta freebie giveaways it's a little bit geeky not, not too geeky but it's a little bit geeky but i don't think you've got that level of control have you on a, on a an insta freebie one no, not on an Insta Freebie one. Um, You're locked down yeah, that, the coding, I think, of the design, are you? Yeah, it's, I mean, that would be handy if you could add your own Facebook pixel, because obviously you can do that with BookFunnel as well, can't you? Well, as, yeah, as the host, I mean, you know, somebody like you sending 4,000 clicks to a page, if I can then harness those as a Facebook audience, which you could then target, you know, that's pretty powerful as the organiser of the giveaway and that's kind of what i was experimenting with at the time i got a list i think for thrillers of about seven and a half thousand for facebook you know a, a lovely sort of targetable um audience um and it was quite a powerful technique but you know that's something insta freebie could do uh, again you'd have to be a little bit geeky wouldn't you to understand how to do that but um I th- you know it was great it was a great audience it was it was save save me having to pay for them as far as i was concerned you know <laughs> ka-ching thank you very much you know uh, seven and a half thousand thriller readers you know that, you can't knock that can you no you can't but yeah that's i did uh did experiment with doing facebook ads for um for mailing list signups in in the beginning and um it just seemed it just seemed like a massive black hole for money 
Uh, and when Insta Freebie came along, I was comparing the price for getting a new subscriber, and it was, I think it was something ridiculous. Like I was paying fifty pence for a subscriber from Facebook, and it worked out at three pence for Insta Freebie, and it just seemed like a no-brainer. So since then, I haven't, uh, I haven't started up the Facebook ads again. But I know there are a couple of authors who who still swear by Facebook ads for building their mailing list. It's something I probably need to look into. I had exactly the same experience as you because um, I was doing, I couldn't make Facebook ads work for sales, but I could make it work for leads. I did really well for leads with it. And then, of course, I mean, the advantage of having a lead, of course, is that if they didn't buy the book, if you were going straight for sale, if they don't buy the book, you've paid for the click and you've, and you've lost it. Whereas if you get an email address, you get several chances at making a sale, I guess. That's, that's the other advantage. So I did exactly the same as you, is that that was working for me for signups. And then I did Insta Freebie. I thought, hang on, I did exactly the same maths that you did. Thinking, hang on, this is a fraction of the price for Insta Freebie. And that's why I left Facebook ads too. Because I said, well, you know, Facebook ads are good, but actually for an author where we've got to be so um, click price sensitive because we've got no margin in our books. Um, if yeah. you had more margin on it, you could, you could spend more, obviously, but we can't, we've got no margin, have we, as, as authors? Uh, and it's a freebie just blew Facebook ads out of the water for me at that point. So same as you. Yeah, I think uh, I definitely need to try it again and see, uh, see if I'm any better at it nowadays. Um, but I think, uh, I think you just need to diversify as much as possible for trying to get uh, new readers. That's why I've tried as many different tactics as possible and different strategies. Uh, and try, that's why I was, you know, looking at the book cave and I'm, I'm constantly trying to find out the, the newest thing for trying to find new readers. I was hoping that more of these platforms would have sprung up since uh, Insta 3D freebie and book funnel have taken off, but it seems to be a bit of a bit of a slow burn. Have you read uh, Help My Facebook Ads Suck by Michael Cooper? No, I haven't actually. Well, let me recommend that highly to you. The reason being that his best Facebook ad is a sci-fi one. And um, he, he, he talks about, it's a fairly cheap book. It's about you know, $6.99, but it's actually the best Facebook book I've read. And actually, I, I, I almost, he's so organized about the way he just you know gets on and, and tells you what to do. Rather than messing around with it, he just tells you what to do. But his best performing advert, and you'll you'll like this, is a spaceship. You know, like the spaceships we were talking about, the big clunky, you know, dented spaceships. It's a spaceship image like that. And he just talks about, you know, why that works and how he's made that his best ad ever. And he still shifts loads of books um, as a result of the advert. So just for that bit alone, you know, it's worth you buying it. But actually what he says about Facebook ads, it's a real step-by-step, you know, do this, do this, do this, and it will work. It's the best book I've read, I think, uh, on it. Very good. Okay. Cheers, Paul. I'll check that out. Yeah, honestly, that story alone for you will be worth the six ninety nine. I think about the spaceship, <laughs> and uh, I saw him at the twenty books of fifty k event. You know, he was talking there, and um, he's shifting a lot of books through Facebook. When you see these people who are doing it well, um, you know, you sort of think, oh, I ought to give this a try. Have you tried AMS uh, Amazon ads too? Um, yes, actually, I use that as a as a loss leader to keep my um, perma free uh, high up the charts. Aha. Uh-huh. So how 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 was that working for you? So what what kind of costs were you seeing on that? Oh, I'm I'm I think I've capped it at one dollar a day because um, I don't need to get that many downloads per day to keep um, to keep Hypercage high up in the in the cyberpunk um, category. So if I get one or two clicks which will lead to a download a day off the Amazon ads then I'm only spending I think I spend about must be like nine 
to £13 a month. And for me, that's acceptable to kind of keep that up there and to try and uh, make sure that it's keeping it up there and driving uh, readers to my mailing list off the back matter. It's a very interesting strategy that you've had while you're producing the first sort of super length uh, book in your series, you know, to just be building that that mailing list. Are you uh, able to share how, you know, big that mailing list is now? Is it it a reasonable size now? Yeah, it's up to, I just checked before, it's 4,180. Right, and they're very engaged, as as, as we know as well. They're quite engaged. Um, I think think that's probably the biggest misstep as far as building the mailing list is just the the length of time between releasing transmit and having super struct out because it's you know you're talking about if transmit came out may 2016 i think super struct's probably going to be two years after that and really up until i released theater of death um at the beginning of this month i haven't released anything new to my readers who've joined up my mailing list since like september 2016 and i think that's probably too long a time to try and keep people engaged and i've had to i've had to switch around like the focus of the newsletter a little bit to try and keep people engaged in it it has worked where i've got the click rates up a bit um but if I, you know if you're going to be recommending like this kind of whole approach to a brand new author i think uh, the maximum length of time that you would probably want to look at doing something like this between releasing your, your magnet your mail list to releasing your first novel is probably going to be you know somewhere between six and 12 months depending on um, if, if you can put anything else out in between what are you using to uh, collect your emails are you a mailchimp man no uh mail light yeah 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 it's good enough so um, i did start with mailchimp so i f- actually started building my mailing list off the back of my beta readers for transmit so the first people I managed to find for beta reading by scrabbling around the internet as much as I could to try and find beta readers before, you know, before you've got a mailing list to kind of fall back on it was, it's quite a difficult proposition trying to find people for the very, very first time. So I used MailChimp to try and see if they would be interested after beta reading to join my mailing list. Unfortunately, I think I got about six people off the back of that. Mm. So they, they were the very first people. So I started with MailChimp. Then, um, then I found out about ConvertKit and I actually started using ConvertKit first and but it was very, very expensive. And especially when MailLite came along um after I'd been using Convert ConvertKit for a good few months, I must have got about twelve hundred, thirteen hundred people on my mail list by that point. Wow. And Mail list, mail basically has exactly the same functionality for it must have been like almost a quarter of the price. Um Moving over was a massive pain, to be honest. Um, when you've got people in the middle of, like, because my automation cycle is quite long. It's, usually, it's about two months, three months or so. Um, when you've got people in the middle of an automation cycle, it's really, really laborious to try and move people over because I was trying to make sure they got to the end of the automation cycle before then moving them across to MailLite. And it was like a slow process of, like, gradually copying people across from one system to the I've gone very well with MailerLite. Um, they've had a couple of outages, which I don't think they've handled particularly well um, as a company. But the product, you know what you were saying about Instafreebie not innovating, but I think MailerLite are constantly innovating, and I really like that about them. Um, uh, the, the, the automation is, is excellent, isn't it? It's a very good feature. 
Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, that's what I found good. I mean, ConvertKit was really, really good. It was very, very simple to set everything up, but it was very pricey. And then moving across to MailLite, it was probably even easier, and it had all the features, and it was a quarter of the price. It was just a no-brainer at that point. And yes, I've been on MailLite ever since, and I probably wouldn't, uh, I probably wouldn't switch. You know, while we've been speaking and uh, moaning about Instafree, but you wouldn't believe what's just happened. I mean, literally just happened while you and I have been speaking. They've they've tweeted out. I don't know why they've done this, but they've tweeted out my book from Instafreebie uh, as a as a free sample. So th- th- their ears must have been burning or something like that. I mean, they've never done that before. Why would they do that while we're talking? Are they listening into us or something like that? Um, never had that done before. Thank you very much, Instafreebie, but I don't know where they've got it from. But um, how bizarre. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? That comes in handy. Being, I've been a featured author once, and that does come in handy to help drive some uh, some extra traffic to your book. It's good when that happens. I can't even remember what I've got up on Instafreebie at the moment, so I hope it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> it's just a book sample, but I don't know why they've done that. That's fantastic, so I'll settle for that. But they've obviously done some research. They found my two Twitter handles and everything, so uh, that, that's interesting. <laughs> and and fascinating timing. I mean, it's timed to eight minutes on Twitter right now, so that's that must be the time when we were just talking about them, which is... <laughs> Very spooky. Must, must be listening in. Obviously. I reckon they are. <laughs> now, the other thing I got to talk about uh, to you about, which is, uh, you know, all authors do different things. You're doing some very interesting things. Is you're on Patreon too, mm-hmm. and um, you know that that's very interesting because you go to Patreon to build a community. What made you go to Patreon, and what's your strategy with Patreon? Um, it was it was to try because so one of the thing the key things I've taken away from being a business analyst is there's a not it's not really like a technique it's more of a um it's basically something that every single business should have and that's focus and there's a particular way you can focus your business uh by using this uh, technique this analysis technique called vmost which people will have heard of bits and pieces of this before but it basically stands for vision mission objectives strategies and tactics and people, you know, in the author community, you hear about strategies and tactics all the time, but you very, very rarely hear about the fact that your strategies and tactics should be aligned to your objectives. Your objectives should be aligned to your mission, and your missions should be aligned to your overall vision. So, because one of my main missions is to try and uh, sell enough or make enough revenue to initially go part-time with my job, if I can, if they'll allow it, and then eventually full-time. I just seen Patreon as being an alternative way of, uh, of making some revenue um, and trying to bring in some money while also trying to give something a bit more uh, unique to the people who wanted to sign up for my Patreon account as well. And it, it went okay to start off with. It's flatlined very quickly, um, and I'm hoping that when I keep, because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to strategize it where the benefit that I'm giving to people who sign up on Patreon is they'll get my stories two months earlier than everyone else. So what, I, what I'm doing now is I'm releasing things on Patreon first, two months ahead of, at the moment, KU, but I might go wider with, with things as they come out of KU. I haven't decided on that bit yet. And then there's a couple of rewards where I also give um, a specific reward for people higher up the tiers as well um so yeah it was ba- the whole reason was to try and satisfy that mission of trying to uh, earn enough money to quit work is essentially what i'm trying to do 
That's really interesting. I've never heard of Vmost. I mean, I've been doing all the corporate stuff, you know, for years. I have never heard of Vmost. So I'll post, um, you know, a little bit of information about that on your on your show notes so that everybody can get a look at that. Um, but um, this is this something unique to your line of business? I can't believe, you know, I've been working all my life and never heard of that one because we've all heard of uh, Smart Objectives, for instance, haven't we? We all, we all know that one. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Smart Objectives is is a is a layer of. Vmos, and then you've got your missions above that, and then your vision on top of that again. Um, it's basically you get taught as a business analyst that it's it's something that every single business should have, and if they don't have it, then that you could say that they're directionless because I mean, what is it that they're trying to achieve? If they're not trying to achieve their vision for the business, then they could be doing things as part of the business that don't help them achieve it, which means there could be waste as part of that uh, of part of their processes. Oh, this is good. This is my kind of thinking. This is I like I like this kind of stuff. It's, yeah, you're getting the lean, getting the lean development a little bit there. Yeah, analyzing well, your waste. Well, it is. It's, it it makes perfect sense. So um, yeah, so I will. I'll share that because I think that's a really interesting way of looking at things. And 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 also, I guess this also informs your time management because so many people fuss about things that actually don't feed into the vision and mission. They shouldn't be part of their. Uh, you know objectives they're just messing around basically and I, I kind of do a version of it with my I have quarter I have planning board I have a planning board and I work to, to objectives every every quarter and they're all they all feed into the like you the ultimate aim which is I'd like to make enough money from this thank you very much to you know to to work abroad in the sunshine rather than in the cold British weather like you and I are experiencing <laughs> in the north of England right now. <laughs> what do you mean? It's lovely. <laughs> it's, it's certainly not. Not my kind of weather. Uh, and we get it harder in the north, don't we? We're harder up north. With, 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 with <laughs> certainly <the weather>. are. <laughs> so, no, this is, this is good. Let me, so I'll share that. There's loads of, loads of stuff you're doing here that's very, very different from what I've heard of before. But it's interesting because you come from that different... Uh, you've come from a completely different environment, I think. And so you bring a lot of the business analysts into this to make it work for you. Yeah, I'm trying to. Just trying to, uh, you know, because my job is basically analysing things on a day-to-day basis. So it's translating that to uh, to the writing career as well. So dare I say then, uh, with your business analyst head on, how, how's it going so far? You know, where, where, where are you on the, on the line towards this objective? Um, I think, I think we'll be... Co- because of everything that's happened as far as pause on the novel, I feel like I'm further behind than I should be. But then if I'd just steamed ahead and started writing the novel and I hadn't done any of the other stuff, then I wouldn't already have a potential audience for releasing my work. So I'm happy with my current position. I'm just, I'm just mindful at the moment that I need to get this novel out as soon as I can, but I'm trying not to rush it at the same time. It's a, a strange situation to be in. You know, I'm trying to keep my editor informed all the time about, you know, I think I'll have it roughly ready about here and I keep them updated on what I'm doing every month. But then, you know, the fact that I've, I'm trying Patreon at the same time means I feel like I should be trying to release short stories to my Patreon account, which are then going on to Amazon. I try to do that regularly as well to make sure that I'm, I feel like I'm giving people value for money for signing up to Patreon as well. Um, so it's just, it's just a, a slow, it is a slow process at the end of the day. Um, I'm also mindful of the fact that you know, my novel was actually a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. I, pro- I thought it was going to be maybe about 100, 120K for the first draft, and it came in at like 177. Wow. Uh, I know. And the thing is as well with having finished, because I basically now finished, what, 
Transmit, Hypercage, Theatre of Death. I've just finished another two short stories. I've got another two novellas banked at first draft stage, and I've almost got another short story finished as well. Now that I'm in the line editing stage of the novel, I'm especially the first, you know, good few thousand words that I'm going through, I'm just finding it's, you know, it's very apparent about how basic and how much further behind from a creativity you know, creative writing point of view I was when I first started writing, because that was the very, very first thing that I ever wrote, which is going to be weird because by the time people read it, I'll have had, you know, probably like five other things released in the meantime. Um, so it just means I'm now when I'm lying at it and I'm finding I'm chopping out almost 100 to 200 words per page. And when I'm calculating that forward, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so... That means I'm going to be calculate. I'm chopping out almost like thirty-five thousand words, which is a lot. Which you know, when we're talking about waste as far as part of the process, that's a lot of words to be wasting. Maybe it'll tail off as I get towards the end of the novel. Hopefully, it'll be a lot more tighter, and I won't be chopping as much out then. Um, but it's something that I definitely want to kind of keep on top of is trying to write faster um, and try and cut out as as, uh, as you know, as much waste as possible. Um, I want to try and get in a dictation in the future, but just with writing between work and home, it's, I've, I haven't really taken the plunge yet. It's that kind of mindset of doing dictation at home, but then writing not like with a keyboard at, uh, at work. I haven't really, uh, I haven't even kind of sorted that on my head yet about how that's going to work. It'll probably be fine, but uh, I just haven't plunged into dictation. I think that's one of the answers for trying to get the output increased. Yeah, it's it's a big... It feels like it's a big gear change, doesn't it, when you can just bang the words out on a keyboard. And, and, and you're very much caught in the, the kind of indie author's dilemma in that you're doing a day job, you know, you've got the family commitments, and then books are so take so darn long to write, don't they? We, we, we kind of almost need to pop them out faster. That's the problem. And, you know, this is what you're saying with your books. You need this. I, I've done the same thing. You know, I'm just about to hit my perfect complement of books, but it's taken me, well, to, since 2014 to get there. Um, yep. they're so darn slow and there's so many other things to do in the meantime it's, it's hard work isn't it <laughs> it is it is uh, yeah and because I do compressed hours at work as well so that means I work longer days and it means I don't get as much time on a night time uh, to write as, I, as I'd like to um, but yeah I think for because when Superstruck comes out, that'll be the first, so it's the first of the trilogy. Um, I definitely want to try and deliberately try and write uh, books two and three, try and co- make them come in a bit shorter, it, as long as the story still works, so that the so I can get them out faster, really. So let's just look then at that, that V-most um, pyramid that you discussed uh, a few minutes ago. In terms yep. then of your, your vision and your mission, when you kind of hit that that peak of the, the pyramid what's life going to be like for you is it just going to be uh, the sort of the the earning a living from the books or do you have bigger aspirations than that for films and tv series and stuff like that oh, I'd, I'd love to be able to do that sort of thing um i mean that's that's one of the reasons that i like writing the short stories is, is that the, they encapsulate a very simple what if into a short story um and the way in which Netflix and Amazon are gobbling up um, different properties nowadays, I'm hoping that if the novel does well, it'll give us some good visibility. My short fiction will be there to consume for readers, and maybe something will come off the back of the novel and maybe the short stories as well. Um, who knows? 
who knows well it's a really interesting strategy i haven't spoken uh, your your interview what are you interview number 107 i haven't spoken to an author who who you know has approached it the way that you have a, in quite such a different way that you have it's really interesting you've given us some really interesting pointers uh, thank you very much for speaking to us on the podcast i do wish you every success with it Oh, thanks, Paul. Who knows? It it might all pay off when the book comes out as well. (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.